Good evening to you. We won't be turning to Revelation for those of you at Second Service uh, today. Just, all of you just looked and said, it's Genesis. But anyway, uh, so we'll turn to Genesis chapter 24 tonight. And while we're getting uh, situated there, just be aware that tonight will be the last opportunity. If you aren't registered to vote, <clears throat> maybe you've never registered to vote, and uh, maybe you've moved in since the last election, you need to re-register. There's a table out in the fellowship hall to do that. Voting is not a secular activity. It is a spiritual activity when it is done with that kind of a heart in order to uh, another attempt and another way to influence the world for the kingdom of God. Assuming you vote right, I'll have my sample ballot out for you after the service to, to um, do that. No, you'd be led of the Lord, of course, on all that. In uh, chapter 24, we have the record of Isaac, who is now uh, getting uh, quite old. The record of his seeking after, or Abraham seeking after a bride for Isaac. And it is a, a wonderful record of a godly father's concern for the spouse who it is that this child that he has invested so much in is going to marry but it is at the at the same time a beautiful old testament picture uh, of uh, Christ and of our Heavenly Father and of the Holy Spirit and as uh, Abraham sends out his servant it may be Eliezer he is unnamed in the passage because he is a really a picture of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself Jesus came to glorify the Father the Holy Spirit has come to testify of Jesus they're all pointing to somebody else to, in terms of giving glory but the Holy Spirit is always pointing uh, to Jesus he doesn't want to draw attention to himself interesting when you look at the Bible in terms of praying we're taught as Christians to pray to the Father in Jesus name there are two prayers in the New Testament which are prayers directly to Jesus but you never see a prayer that is directed to the Holy Spirit he doesn't want it he is there to point people to Jesus and so you have this beautiful picture of Abraham as the father uh, uh, Eliezer this unnamed servant being sent by the father into this foreign uh, distant uh, country in order to find a bride for his son Isaac and the uh, imagery of Isaac being a picture of Christ continues through all of this section all the way from Mount Moriah where uh, he was uh, there to be given as a sacrifice and, and all and on the day of Pentecost what happened the Holy Spirit was sent into the world in order to gather a bride together for uh, Jesus Christ and then that bride to one day be delivered to our Isaac to Jesus uh, at the rapture of the church and so Abraham was old he was well advanced in age and the Lord had blessed Abraham and all things so he looks at his life it's just as rich and as full as it could possibly be he is getting older he's going to live for quite a bit longer but he has a sense that he's getting older and uh, he wants to wrap up he's wrapped up a lot of very important things but the one thing he wants to wrap up before uh, he would die is the finding of a bride a suitable bride uh, for his uh, his son Isaac and so Abraham said to the oldest servant in his house the oldest servant may be Eliezer who was spoken of in earlier chapters but uh, it may be a different servant we really don't know but the oldest servant would have been the most trusted the most reliable servant and so he said to this servant who ruled over all that he had he said please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord so this gives you an idea of how solemn this oath is he's going to make him swear by uh, Jehovah the God of heaven and the God of the earth that you will not number one this is not what he, what he does not want that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell and then here is what he wants to him to do but you shall go to my country back into Mesopotamia a journey of about 500 miles but you shall go to my country to my family and take a wife for my son 
uh, Isaac. Now this uh, putting the hand under the thigh is uh, generally believed to be a way in addition to the oath of swearing in the name of the Lord or making a vow in the name of the Lord. Um, the putting the hand under the thigh, the thigh area, the loin area, a, the, the indication of that is that's where life comes from as it relates to a man. And uh, so it's believed that uh, it was an ancient way of saying that as you make this vow, if you purposely fail in this vow to keep your word here, then the descendants that come from my loins will be free uh, to kind of mete out uh, vengeance upon you uh, for your unfaithfulness. So he is asking this servant to, to take a very, very serious uh, agreement now on what it is that he is uh, requesting him to do. Now when he says in verse 3, that uh, his, his requirement that Isaac would not take a wife from among the daughters of, of the Canaanites. Uh, Abraham is in a very interesting place. He is, he, the land has been given to him by God, uh, but nobody else knows that yet. So he is in the eyes of the world just kind of a great tribal chief in the area. The what a person would traditionally do in his position would be to marry into a comparable or greater tribe. I'm going to marry up. And uh, so that uh, by marrying his son then into the daughter of another tribe, you've got an alliance that's been established. It was a sure way to assure greater power, uh, greater security, greater wealth, all of these, these kinds of things. That would have been the natural thing for a father to be doing in, in the situation that, that he is uh, in. But it's beautiful here. Concerning Abraham, he says no to all of those things. The only thing that he desires for his son in a wife is that she be godly, that she be a worshiper of Jehovah. And, uh, and, and so doesn't matter if she's rich, doesn't matter if she's poor, doesn't, you know, any of those things. And uh, uh, that's, that's what's, uh, all that matters uh, to him. Now the issue is not a racial one. It isn't that he's got a chip on his shoulder against the Canaanites or anything like that. The issue is a spiritual one. The Canaanite people were idolaters. And uh, so they worshipped pagan gods and they, they worshipped Baal. They worshipped Asherah. And uh, so to marry one of the women of, of the, uh, uh, among the pagan nations would have been uh, a, a terrible moral and, and spiritual influence being brought into the life of his son. And uh, no godly parent raises their child in the things of the Lord for 18 years and more in the hope that then at that point, after all that hard work has been done, all that love and all that effort, that it will now be undermined by an ungodly or, or, or an idolatrous spouse. And I think that's very important for young people to hear. Who you choose to marry, that will be the second most important decision that you make in life after your decision to follow Christ. It'll be the most enduring and far-reaching decision that you make in, in, in this life. And the Lord and your parents and many others have put tremendous work into your life for you to fulfill God's call upon your life, God's purposes for your life, and, and, and to prepare you for the plan of God for your life. And you now have a responsibility not to throw all of that away by choosing to marry the wrong person. Second Corinthians chapter 6, Paul wrote about the pro prohibiting us to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What part has a believer and an unbeliever in being yoked? It is a direct disobedience to the Word of God for me as a child of God to marry someone who is not uh, a Christian. Now, and so it is Abraham has a, a tremendous sense of how important this decision is. And he realizes there is no effort too great in order to make sure that my son marries 
the right person. And that's, that's the sobriety and, and how big the stakes are and how important it is. I think it's good for us as parents to be in prayer that the Holy Spirit, our Eliezer, <laughs> picks out the spouse uh, for our children. We'd like to do it, but even we don't know what's uh, right on that. And I would say to those of you who are not married yet and, and all, when you choose a spouse, make sure that they are not only Christian, but make sure they are very committed to Christ, obedient to the Lord, filled with the Spirit, desiring the plan of God for his or her life. Don't marry someone where you look and say, well, he professed to go forward as she did at the age of 12, and man, nobody's seen anything about God in their life since, but he, he said that, and I'm sure I'll, I, when I marry him or her, I'll change him. One in a thousand, one in a thousand, that that's going to happen. Here, here's the truth about it. When a person is single... They are even more of married. And you better figure out who and what they are beforehand and say, that's my portion for the rest of my life, and is that what I want in choosing a spouse? Now, the, uh, the servant here is, is, is going to go this distance, 500 miles now. He's uh, got to travel a great distance to go to where there's some other worshipers of Jehovah there in, in, uh, in Nahor and, and all. And, and as, the, as the servant listens to what Abraham is proposing to him, he sees an immediate weakness. I mean, he's making a very serious vow. And he, and he sees a weakness in it. And, and so the servant said to Abraham, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. I mean, I, we're gonna, I'm going to go into a strange city and say, uh, Listen, i got a husband for you 500 miles away. You don't know me. I'm a good guy. And uh, so it says, you know, there's a good likelihood that this isn't going to work. Uh, so you're, I'm willing to do it, but I can't guarantee that this is going to be successful. We've got half a chance... If you let me take Isaac with, uh, with me. So he must not have been bad looking. And uh, so if I can bring him with and say, listen, it's, I know it's 500 miles away. You're moving from your family. But look, I mean, you could do worse. And, uh, and so, but it, you know, so it would be asking less faith of the bride to, to come if she could see uh, Isaac. And then uh, Abraham said to him, beware, okay, that you do not take my son back there. Under no circumstances is he to follow you back into the, away from this land that God has promised here uh, to us. He's to stay here. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. So he speaks tremendous faith into the servant's heart. You're going to be successful. This is not about just a regular person, you know, making this decision. This is a big thing that God is doing through my life and my lineage. He, if we give him a chance, is going to pick out just the right person for my son. Because it's going to be through our lineage that the Messiah and the blessing is going to come into the whole world. So he has tremendous faith. And, but he gives the guy a loop, loophole in verse 8. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him uh, concerning this matter. Now, when the serv then the servant took ten of his master's camels... And he departed now from Mesopotamia there, for all his master's goods were in his hand. He was in charge of all of his master's wealth. So, and he arose, he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So he takes these ten camels, loads them down with just a small portion uh, of Abraham's wealth. What is that? Faith. That's faith. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go forth, I'm going to be successful in this, and you've got to leave the family with a dowry. 
and a dowry worthy of this, this family. And so this loading down with the gifts and all is, uh, is an act of faith. Also going to, when, they, when he shows up with ten camel, camels loaded down with all of this wealth, and then he asks uh, the girl's family to release her now to come back to Canaan, and the family that she's going to be involved in, she gets some kind, they get some kind of sense as a family. This is the kind of uh, spirituality of this family that we're releasing our daughter into and the kind of material wealth that we're releasing our daughter into, uh, you know, so we know that she's not going to go back to Canaan and, uh, and starve. And he made his camels kneel down. They get to the city of Nahor. took them quite a while to get there. Very, very arid path. There was the uh, way of the kings that they took along waterways and all, but a very, very very arid part of the world out there and uh, and they make their way to Nahor and as they uh, come into the city he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time the time when women go out to draw water and specifically young women from the household would be sent forth sun is setting go get water now for the evening needs of the family so you're looking for a bride right and uh, and have Starbucks in those days, or I don't know where young women hang out kind of a thing, or college and career age group, that's a little better. And uh, so, uh, so this is, we're looking for a, a young woman, so the, the well is the place to see as soon as you can, as many of them uh, as you can. And so uh, that's the design behind everything, and he heads into prayer. And, and he said, doesn't close his eyes, this is an open-eye prayer. You can do that, commuters. Uh, just be aware of that. He said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show uh, kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters... Okay, that's the marriage, marrying kind, daughters, younger women. The daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be, he doesn't want to pick this child out, doesn't want to pick this bride out. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, that she will get, do more than just give me a drink, but she will say, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Now, what are the odds of that? He's got ten camels there. And uh, they are living sponges at this point, having uh, crossed a section of the, the desert. You're talking about, if you think about those wine casks, you know, kind of big barrels of water, probably take about four of those full in order to satisfy the thirst of those ten. Now you've got yourself a little old pitcher, pitcher of water, put it down in, in, in the well, bring it up, pour it into the pitcher, go over here, you're talking about a tremendous uh, volunteering on the part of anyone to say, yeah, I'll water all ten of those. So you might say, which is, which is your favorite camel? I'll water that one. But he's, he says, no, we don't want... We don't want that. <clears throat> I, the one that says drink and I will also give your camel a drink. Let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, he's looking for confirmation here. Uh, throwing out kind of a fleece a little bit. And, and by this, that you, uh, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, this, what, with this fleece he throws out. Uh, he doesn't say, listen, the first one that comes out and, and is breathing and has a heartbeat, she's the one. Uh, when, he, when he says, she's going to come out and she's going to offer me water, and then I, I would like her to offer uh, water to water then all ten of, the, ten of the camels, what's he looking for? He's looking for an extraordinary person. Not just anybody is going to do for marrying Isaac or any child of God should be. And so he, he isn't looking for just someone that's some nominally nice person or hardworking person. He's, he's looking for an extraordinary person here for Isaac. And, and, and he, has a, he, has, he has a very high standard that he's, he's asking God for. And God's going to meet that standard. And, and it happened before he had finished speaking. Now, this is, these are the prayers that I like. They get answered before you get done. 
And that's, that's what happens here. I mean, before he's even finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. He doesn't know that this is her, but this is Abraham's great niece. So he sent the servant over there to find a bride for Isaac from among his family. And uh, here she comes. Now here's the description of her. She was, now the young woman was very beautiful to behold. So physical description of her. And she was also a virgin. No man had known her. And so this speaks of her, her character. It speaks of her moral and spiritual beauty. And she went down to the well and she filled her pitcher and she came up. And the servant likes what he sees. He ran to meet her. Now he's come a long way on, on things. And, and he looks at her. And, and says, wow, this might be the one. He runs to meet her, only one way to find out, and he makes the request. Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And, and she, uh, then she quickly let her pitcher down uh, to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to do a street-by-street street search for this gal. <sighs> but, but look at this. It, it, it's, it's interesting what, what happens here. And then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and she drew for all of his camels. And the man, wondering at her, he said, I didn't know that young people like this existed anymore. Because in my day, I'll, okay, but, but he, he, he looks and, and, and he's marveling at, at the answer to prayer, really, and he remains silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Listen, if you're going to ask God for confirmation, and you ask the confirmation to be she will water all ten of those camels, you can't jump in when she just watered six of them. You've got to let God go all the way in the confirmation. And, and to his credit, he, he does that. He just holds tight, all right, six, seven, eight, nine, touchdown Notre Dame. Anyway, uh, he's very, very excited uh, about it. So she takes and, and he watches all of this to see whether this is the one. And so it was when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing about half a shekel. I don't know how big that is, but he puts it in her nose. And I don't know how, in your, on your nose, whatever the right... So there's nothing really new under the sun. This kind of adornment's been going on uh, for a while, hasn't it? It's back again, unfortunately. But anyway, that's my opinion. On, on the thing and, and all. And, and he gives her two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold. And he said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And he's traveled. You travel that kind of wealth, you've got to bring quite an entourage with you in order to protect the wealth that you'd have been robbed along the way. So he's traveling quite a few guys here on this. Is there a place where we can take care of the camels and, and get a, a place to stay. And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. And, and so now he realizes this is Abraham's family. And moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and uh, room to lodge. So she's not only beautiful, she's not only pure, she's not only hardworking, She's very, very uh, merciful, hospitable. I mean, this is, this is really quite a, a gal, this uh, Rebecca. And then the man, when he heard this, he bowed down his head and he worshipped the Lord. God had answered his prayer just immediately. Thanks, the Lord. We have to remember that, don't we? God, we ask a lot of things, and then when God answers like this, to give him thanks when we see the answer. Uh, so obvious and he said blessed be the Lord God 
as he worships the Lord and thanks him, of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. For as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And so the young woman ran. She told her uh, mother's household these things. And uh, now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well and so it came to pass and notice that word when the night you can circle that in your mind when he that is Laban saw the nose ring and the bracelets somebody's got money here so all you need to know about Laban we're gonna we're gonna get to know Laban very very well in the book of Genesis but this guy is he's all That's all you need to know about Laban. I mean, you just don't want to... He's just the biggest con, you know, one of the biggest cons in the whole, in the whole Bible. And, and so he sees this wealth, and then he, when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me, he went out to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place uh, for the camels. And any other nose rings you got there? And then the man came... Uh, to his house and he unloaded the camels and he provided strong feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men uh, who were with him and then food was set before this servant uh, to eat and he will not eat until he finishes his master's business that's the kind of person you want to send out (laughs) to do something for you it's called a faithful man a faithful woman and he I'm not even going to eat and I'm sure it was quite a, a meal until I tell you about my errand and then they had invited him then to uh, continue to speak and, and to tell him, uh, tell them all about it. And so he said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord has blessed my master greatly. And he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. Again, this is the kind of uh, material situation and spiritual, the Lord, that's number one, and then the material situation I'm about to ask you to release your daughter into. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when he was old. And to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. I I was doubtful about it. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I walk, will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son from among my family and from my father's house. My master had absolute faith in the success of this mission. And you will be clear from this oath, he said, when you arrive among my family, for they will, uh, if they will not give her to you, then you shall be released from my oath. And on this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper uh, the way in which I go, behold, I stand at the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a, a little water from your pitcher, and she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also, let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son." But before I had finished speaking in my heart, before I had finished my prayer inside, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew the water. And I said to her, Please give me a drink. Let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will also give your camels a drink also. And so I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. And then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who Milka bore to him. And so I put the nose ring Uh, I put the nose ring on her nose. On is the correct word. I see that now. And the bracelets 
on her wrists. And I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my father Abraham who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, let me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And then Laban, uh, Rebekah's brother, and Bethuel, the father. He's, uh, Laban seems to have the lead in this family. Probably the father is uh, physically not well. But together here they answer uh, in this request. And they said, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. So they recognize the existence of Jehovah God. And they recognize his hand in all of this. And here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words, that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and he gave them to Rebekah, and he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And so here he is giving gifts to Rebekah. Uh, again, that beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit, even as the Holy Spirit has brought the great uh, riches of Christ to us and is the bride of Christ, the spiritual riches. And he and the men who were with him, they ate and they drank and they stayed all night. So a night of celebration. And then they arose in the morning and the servant said, send me away to my master. I, I love this guy. He is such a man. <laughs> okay, got that covered and let's get out of here and get her back home you know and uh, no long goodbyes or any of that kind of stuff that's women folk stuff or whatever kind of a deal he he gets up in the morning all right let's clear out of here and uh wait a second a mom wants to say goodbye and all of this kind of stuff but that's who you want you know running ramrod on uh, something that you're you're trying to get finished and and all but her brother and her mother i mean they this is blood, you know. And they said, let the young woman stay with us for a few days, at least ten. Uh, after that she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. And so they said, we'll call the young woman and ask her personally. We'll leave the decision with her. And then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And she agrees to go now immediately uh, to uh, the land of Canaan and, uh, and to be married to this man she's never seen. Again, a beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. And, and she is here. She is. She's willing to walk by faith, give herself to a husband she has never seen, but has only heard about. And the same way that we have uh, become a part of the bride of Christ, we have never seen Christ with our eyes, but we have believed in Him based upon what we have heard uh, from Him. And so her heart is. Very, very beautiful in all of this. And so they sent away Rebecca, her, their sister, and her nurse, and uh, kind of aides to her, and Rebecca, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca, said a prayer over us before she goes, and they said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. In other words, they pray for her to be very fruitful. Not that she would have all these children, but from her lineage that there would be uh, a great uh, number of people and influence the world uh, for good as it goes on. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. May you be victorious uh, over your enemies. And then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels, and they followed the man. And so the servant took Rebekah and departed. And I can imagine that as they're making uh, this, uh, you know, several-week journey now from Mesopotamia back to Canaan, that it was a time just filled with stories on the part 
of the servant telling her all about the home that she was going to be marrying into, the man that she was going to be marrying, familiarizing. And again, there's that beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit as we're waiting to see our groom, waiting to see Christ face to face. But in the meantime, the Holy Spirit speaks to us in all the ways that He does of uh, making us familiar as, as can be with our groom without seeing Him face to face, familiar with heaven and the place that we're destined for and the imagery is very, very powerful and uh, very, very beautiful. Now, Isaac came from the way of uh, Beer Laheroi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out uh, to meditate in the field in the evening. So he is a, a contemplative person, a spiritual person here, and, and uh, meditating on, uh, you know, the, the things of the Lord and all. And he's out in the field in the evening meditating. And he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and there the camels were coming. Now, this is wonderful, related to Isaac. And, and again, away from the imagery, but now into just in our, our lives. For those of you who are waiting for the Holy Spirit to bring your bride or groom into your life, do what Isaac does here. It's not, it's not an idle time. It isn't just, well, you know, I'm just going to just waste time until that person comes and then I'll get serious about things and that kind of stuff. What he does is two things. Number one, he keeps himself pure. And then number two, he keeps growing in his relationship with God. He keeps growing into the person that, that he ought to be for the, for the day when that bride comes into uh, his life. And so it's a beautiful picture of him uh, uh, being as, as concerned about what he would bring into the marriage as what this other person coming is going to bring. And then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. And so she took a veil, and she covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that uh, he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his uh, mother's uh, Mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her and so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death and so they were married and an ancient you know wedding ceremony consisted of a parental approval and uh, then taking the bride before witnesses which is what he does her here and it's, it's beautiful you don't see it uh, uh, just everywhere in all the relationships within the Bible but we're told very specifically that, that he uh, loved her and uh, so here is Rebecca gets introduced into his life and he has an empty spot in his life his mother has died and, and these uh, different kinds of things and clearly he wants to be married he's longing for companionship and, and personal intimacy and uh, willing to wait for the spouse of, of God's choosing and now here's the, the beauty of all of that then coming together. Abraham in chapter 25 then uh, again took a wife and her name was Keturah and so uh, the um, Abraham is going to live about he's going to live 37 years following the death of Sarah he's going to live 35 years following the marriage here of, of his son Isaac so he does remarry and, uh, and the woman that he marries, her name is Keturah. That's all that we know about her. We don't know anything else uh, about her history or any of these kinds of things except what's revealed here. They uh, then uh, had six sons together. She bore him Zimran, uh, Jokshan, Dedan, Midian, uh, Ishbak, and uh, Shua and uh, Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan and the sons of Dedan were uh, Asherim and uh, Letushim something like that and uh, uh, Loimimim so there you have it and uh, uh, I would never name my children those kind of names and so but the second, you know, probably the second, third month, I'd have them down if, if I had. And the sons of Midian were Ephaph, uh, Epher, uh, Hanok, uh, Abadah, 
and uh, Elda'a and all these, and I was, I'm right on that one, so just be careful. Okay. And all these were the children of Keturah. Interesting thing about all, uh, many of the uh, Arab peoples of the world, they uh, trace their lineage back to one of these six sons or the grandsons or great-grandsons that's three generations listed here that were, are the descendants of Abraham and his marriage to Keturah. It talks about Sheba and Dedan there in verse 3. Modern Saudi Arabia. Uh, Moses is going to marry a Midianite woman. And, uh, and so uh, here again the reminder that both the uh, Semitic, the Jewish people, and also uh, the Arab people, descendants of Abraham. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac his son, to the country of the east. Now some people, they look at this and, and Abraham giving the gifts to the sons of the concubines, concubines being plural, and get the idea that Abraham had concubines while being married uh, to Sarah. I, I don't believe that at all. Uh, I think concubines refers to uh, these wives of a uh, kind of a, a, a lower uh, level in terms of importance or history related to Abraham and then related to the history of the Jews. So when it's used plural, surely it's talking about Hagar who was never a wife at all and that scheme that they came up with to provide God with uh, an heir uh, for, for the promises of God. And then this refers to Keturah. Wonderful people and all, but not, not anywhere in the same category uh, in the eyes of, of Abraham, in the eyes of the Jewish people, in the eyes of the promises of God as, as Sarah uh, had uh, there. So he's very, very careful uh, to protect uh, the uh, supremacy of Isaac. He remarries, and there are complications with remarrying. Nothing wrong with remarrying, uh, which is what he does here. But he realizes that there could maybe be some confusion on the part of the children as it relates to, you know, kind of who is supreme here in, in terms of who's going to be the patriarch that leads the family from here, who the promises of God are going to be accomplished through. And he makes it very, very clear in how he handles the situation that uh, Isaac has supremacy here in this way. He gives the bulk of his wealth to them, but he gives all of these other sons, who he loves, they're his sons, of course, and he gives them... Um, herds, probably gives them herds and flocks and all to get started so they can raise their own herds and flocks, a, a, a shot at being successful in life. Sends them to the east, uh, and the east from where they are right now is out into the desert toward Arabia and all. And so they became a desert people uh, as, as they have historically been. And, uh, and so this is how he kind of uh, protects uh, makes it very clear that Isaac is his heir. And this is the sum, verse 7, of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. So that's how long Abraham lived. Then Abraham breathed his last, died in a good old age, an old man, and then it says full of years, but you notice of years is in italics, so it's not really there. He died an old man and full. In other words, satisfied. Listen, when you and I spend our lives walking with God, being obedient to His calling upon our lives, there is no fuller, more rich, more satisfying life than can be lived. You are not missing out on anything good out there by being faithful to the Lord. This is the greatest life a person can be lived. And He was gathered to His people. And that's how uh, his death was described, which means you've got to be careful who your people are, right? And uh, so gathered then to where the people of God are after 
death. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him, so they come back together. They've been kind of split away now for all of these years. They're both uh, very, you know, even older and mature men. Sometimes death, the death of a parent, will bring uh, children back together. Death, Death is such a big issue, such a big thing, that sometimes when a parent dies or, or, or an influential person dies in our life, all of these things that we split up and, and make big issues in our family and split the family up, they end up looking silly in comparison to the bigness of this event and how are we going to now lead the family and that kind of thing. And so there's a reconciliation that occurs here. And, and so they buried him in the cave of Machpelah, and, uh, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron and the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, and there Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. So he's buried in the same tomb that he purchased uh, for uh, the burial of Sarah. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at uh, Be'er Lahairoi. And now this is the genealogy of of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's uh, maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, uh, Nebajoth, and then Kedar, uh, Adbiel, uh, Mibsam, Mishma, uh, Duma, uh, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jetur, Nafish, and uh, Kedemah. And these are the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, twelve princes according to their nations. Now you remember long ago when God... Um, Uh, told Abraham, Sarah's right, you need to send Hagar and you need to send Ishmael away uh, from this household with with Isaac, but I'm going to make a great nation of him. And, uh, and God did, and he was faithful to it, and the faithfulness of that is recorded right here. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. <clears throat> <clears throat> and, and being gathered to his people here, I have no doubt, no reason to doubt in any way that Ishmael was not a follower of the God of his father and uh, headed then into Abraham's bosom, into the place where his father was following, uh, following death. And, and then they dwelt, from, they dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. And he died in the presence of his brethren. And this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife. And so, very, very patient, waiting for his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of uh, Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So, just as her mother in law, Sarah, had been barren, so Rebekah is barren now. And, uh, and so, Isaac takes and he prays. Uh, for his wife to be fertile. We're going to see in just a few verses that they have their first, uh, they have their twin uh, boys when Isaac is 60 years old. And so she has been um, barren for a total of 20 years. They've been trying to have this child and, and all and uh, no, uh, you know, blessing from the Lord in that way. And so he pleaded with the Lord for this. And we're told very simply, the Lord granted his plea and Rebecca his wife conceived but the children alright we're talking about multiples here now talking about what's inside of her womb and uh, the children there's more than one there are twins they struggled together within her. And the word struggled there is a very, very uh, strong uh, word. It means to struggle, to break, 
to dash one another. So, I mean, you're talk, these two are fighting it out inside of the womb. You've got this very violent commotion. She's never been pregnant before. But even she realizes, all right, I've heard about pregnancies, I've heard about active children and all, but what's going on here is way beyond that. And uh, so she said, as all of this is going on, if all is well, then why am I like this? And so she went to inquire of the Lord, Lord, what's going on inside of me? And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so she is told each one of these twins is ultimately going to become the head of a nation in the world. There are two great peoples uh, in, in your uh, womb. And uh, that this struggle that has already begun inside of of her womb here that's going to uh, be more of the same all of all of their their life and so this is what's going on inside two children the heads of two future nations it is interesting in the light of the great debate on abortion uh, that uh, God already sees them not only as two people in the womb but he even sees the nations that will come uh, from them far more than just uh, some kind of uh, accident uh, inside of there, some collection of, of cells. And then he's told, she is told that one of the children is going to be stronger than the other, that the older will serve the younger, completely opposite than in that culture. The firstborn in a culture, uh, in that culture, the firstborn son uh, would have the dominant position. Uh, all the other children would serve him. When the father died, he would become the head of the family. He would receive uh, twice as much of the inheritance as any of the other boys in the family. He'd get uh, two-thirds of the inheritance. And, uh, and so that's always the way that it worked. God comes in, and it's very important for you to remember, at <clears throat> the end of, of verse 23 there, this promise, the older shall serve the younger, is going to play into chapter 27, is, is that uh, God is saying, this thing's going to reverse. You're going to have the firstborn, but the firstborn is not going to be the one that's going to get the birthright or lead this family spiritually. It will be the second one that is born that's going to lead this family, and the older is going to serve uh, the younger. And it's important to realize that, underline it in our minds, because when we get into all of the problems in chapter 27, not tonight, but uh, Lord willing, next week, everybody knew this. God had been very, very clear about this. And so the decisions that uh, Isaac makes and Rebekah makes and Esau makes and uh, Jacob makes, uh, there, there's no need to do all the things that they did wrong uh, in the light of the promise. They could have just all children relaxed and let God work his thing out the way that he wanted to. And so when her days were fulfilled uh, for her to give birth, indeed, just like God said, there were twins in her womb. And the first boy came out red. I mean, just red as can be. Now, that's not unusual. I mean, you see uh, uh, the birth of children and all, and they come out red and they're covered with white and all the stuff from the mother's, uh, the amniotic fluid and all those kinds of things and, and stuff. So red isn't unusual. What comes next is it can be fairly unusual. And he was like a hairy garment all over. It's like, like a little cardigan sweater he was... Uh, Wearing. So it's not unusual for the kiddos to be hairy, but this guy's, he's so hairy, he's like a hairy garment. It's like he's wearing a hairy, kind of like long, hairy long johns all, you know, on his whole body. So it's, Lord, it's a hobbit. <laughs> what is going on? And, uh, so, and, and so as a result of this, they called his name Esau. And uh, Esau means hairy. So they, they came up with the names evidently, like right like this is some condition of, of the birth. I remember one of our daughters, she was born, and, and they got a pastor fairly tight quarters to be born. You know, and uh, so sometimes they sit right on the bone there and everything like that. And she came out, and her nose was just 
creased over like this. You know, and, you know, nobody wants to say anything. And I'm a new dad and stuff. And I'm just thinking, man, it's going to always be like that, you know. And then finally somebody said something. I wasn't going to show my ignorance or anything. Oh, that happens all the time, you know. And the cartilage, you know, come back. They're going through and the whole deal like that. But in that day, we might have called her old bent nose uh, Kyle or something like that. You come up with whatever's happening right there. <clears throat> and then afterwards, the first one's born, afterwards his brother came out and his uh, hand took hold of Esau's heel. So he's, he's wanting to con- they've been fighting for nine months. He wants to continue the fight. It'd be like the doctors take the, and, and the babies are born, they put them there to weigh them and everything like that on the table. They're getting them all cleaned up. And the guy's reaching over, grabbing the heel of his, his brother, wants to continue the fight. And uh, so uh, they look at him and say, look at he's grabbing his brother's heel. So they called him uh, Yaakov. They called him Jacob, which means heel catcher or heel grabber. That's what his name means. Now, he's an interesting man. And uh, as, as we're going to find out, and uh, he, his name Jacob, it means heel catcher. But ultimately, because of his character, before the Lord really refines him, uh, that name is going to mean, under his influence in the Bible, to mean a deceiver or supplanter. He is going to be born in the world a master manipulator. But God knows how to to, uh, refine that out of our lives, and that's what he's going to do with Jacob. But this guy is second born, and he's smaller, and all these other things but he's got a lot of fight in him he's one tough kid and uh, so uh, he's grabbing the heel so they called his name Jacob and Isaac was 60 years old uh, when uh, she Rebecca bore them and so the boys grew and they grew into adult uh, adulthood and uh, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field and so he uh, grows into an outdoorsman and uh, and he he just likes the outdoors he knows how to fish he knows how to hunt he knows how to handle himself out in the wilderness and these these kinds of things and that's great all of that is great and uh, I don't care what Don McClure said about all you guys when he was teaching here a few weeks ago and and so that's what Isaac was like I mean you talk about how different twins can be but uh, but Jacob so obviously we're not talking about identical twins on these on these two but fraternal but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents so he wasn't an outdoorsman at all in the way that Esau was and uh, and then what happens, and I've heard it over and over again in Bible teaching, and I think you know, we just have to be very, very careful here on this, because it's, it, and it's, it, it is just laugh out loud funny to take and talk about Esau and how strong he was in, you know, in the hunter and the thing, and then you got Jacob the mama's boy, and there he is, and the next thing you know he's cooking stew and probably getting Martha Stewart's magazine and the big, his sissy boy and the whole thing and all of that. Never do that. Never do that. And almost everyone does that to Jacob. Don't believe it when you hear him, when you hear that being said about him. There is not one bad thing said about Jacob in the entire account, except by Esau and Laban, two of the most carnal, unspiritual people in the entirety of the Bible. And so you just got different personalities here. And uh, so he's more of an indoor kind of person. He liked to keep the flocks and the herds around the family, around the, the, you know, around the tents and around the house and that kind of, of stuff. He wasn't adventurous in, in that kind of, of way. But I'll tell you, before this is all said and done, uh, again, this guy is as tough as nails. And what it takes on God's part to break him and to cause him to be ruled by God is amazing because he's one tough kid in the flesh, and, and, and carnally uh, speaking.
And God can't use any of this, and so he's got to break it for it in order to be uh, usable. You know the old joke where it talks about, what do you call the geekiest kid in high school? You call him boss. And uh, that's what happens, isn't it? You say, that guy, you know, and everything, and then 20 years later, yes, sir, uh-huh, uh-huh, need any coffee, you know, this kind of thing. And uh, so it's not all who's got the biggest muscles and, and these kinds of, of things. But there was a definite different of, uh, difference of, of personality here. Now, the parents do the world's worst thing when you've got different uh, kinds of personalities. Isaac loved Esau. All right. He's going to play for Davis High, and he's going to be the greatest running back that they've ever had. And, you know, he just looks at him and he says, this is the way, this is what you want in a boy, you know, kind of a... And he loves Esau more than he loves Jacob. And we're told why here, because he ate of his game. Now, that's hardly a noble thing. So I, I love this kid better than this one. This guy can hunt and all that kind of stuff. This guy over here, I don't know what, but this... He can, he can hunt and kill something and then make it into a pretty good stew. I can't do better than that, can you? And uh, so he loved them, for, not for spiritual reasons or noble reasons, but just for carnal, selfish, you know, physical appetite reasons. But Rebecca, on the other side, she loved Jacob. Now, you just set the stopwatch for trouble in a family like that. No parents ought to have favorites in their family. There can be some that are easier or harder at given stages in their life and this all, this kind of thing. They're all a gift from the Lord. They're to be loved equally and all. But when it's as overt as this, there's going to be problems in that family. And there are problems in this family. Now Jacob, he cooked a stew. So there he is. He probably got the recipe from Martha Stewart. And there's the sissy boys there in the house making the stew. See how the thing just goes like, it's not at all. He cooked a stew. He's in there in, in the house. He knows how to cook, knows how to make uh, food and all, good roommate in college. And, uh, and so Esau comes in from the field and he's tired and he's hungry. So he's a great hunter. He's gone out to hunt, and, uh, but he hasn't been successful this time. And so he comes in uh, to the house and here is Jacob, got this stew cooking and everything. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. And therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. And the Edomites are going to be descendants of Esau. Probably gets named red because of the foolish thing that he's about to do here to sell his birthright uh, for a bowl of, of chili. And, uh, but that's what he's going to do. And Jacob said, uh, uh, but Jacob said to him as he's requesting uh, a bowl of, of, of this stew, he said, sell me your birthright uh, as of this day. Jacob begins a negotiation. Sees him in a vulnerable place. And he says, you want this stew? Give me the birthright. And, and then I'll give you the stew. Now here's, here's the birthright deal. When you were the oldest son, you received a birthright. You received the birthright and the blessing. And what the birthright was as the oldest son is that you had authority now to be the leader of that family. To be the leader, spiritual leader of that family. And, and so to have the birthright was, now I'm, dad has died, now I'm going to become the spiritual leader of this family, the patriarch of the family. The blessing that was given to the firstborn was, as I said before, twice the inheritance of the others. But the blessing was given in order to supply the man with the resources that he needed to effectively be uh, the patriarch of the family to um, handle the birthright, the responsibility of being the head of the family now. So here is, here is Isaac, and Isaac, uh, or, or Jacob, Jacob comes to Ishmael, or <laughs> he comes to Esau, and he comes to him, and he doesn't even care about the blessing. He's not a materialist at all. He asks for the birthright. He said, for this chili, will you give me the right to become the spiritual head of this family 
when dad dies. That's what he's asking for. He doesn't care about flocks or herds or tents or anything. Now he's a manipulator and what he does here is wrong because God is going to give him the birthright and the blessing if he had been patient. He doesn't have to manipulate here to do this. But that's what he is now in his spiritual development. And you can say whatever you want against Jacob. But you got to give him credit for the fact that he understands the value of the birthright. He understands the value of having a place of influence, spiritual influence, in my family. That's what's important to him. That's the thing that's important to him. And ought to be to every one of us. Because if you can have all of the wealth in the world, but if I do not then take and use that wealth, you know, to... Let me put it this way. No one who does not make an influence in this world spiritually is a rich person, no matter how much wealth they may amass. A person in the eyes of God is a wealthy person, a successful person in this world when as a result of them having lived their three score and ten on this earth, this earth is further along spiritually than it was before they showed up. That's what makes a person rich. Esau doesn't get it. Doesn't get that? Not at all. Jacob gets it. And he wants it. Wrong way. But he wants a good thing. Sell me your birthright as it is this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright? And you notice how he speaks of the birthright. This birthright. I mean, he esteems it so lightly. I'm about to die of starvation. What good is this birthright to me? And... Uh, and so then Jacob said, he, he notices the weakness, and he says, Swear to me as of this day. And so Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And he sold this privilege of, of being the spiritual head and influence of what is, until Christ came, the most spiritually influential family and bloodline in the history of the world because the Messiah is going. This isn't just Joe Blow doing this thing with, with Scottish and Irish blood. Sorry, Tom. We're talking about the most extraordinary bloodline in history until Christ comes on things. And he just throws it away for a bowl of chili. I remember reading as a, as a kiddo, you know, in, in school somewhere and all, and they talk about the, the people, the, the uh, white man coming to the Indians there in New York and all, and uh, the Indians selling Manhattan for, for the equivalent of $24 worth of baubles and stones and colored rocks and that kind of thing. I mean, one of the worst transition, transactions in history. This is... Uh, almost infinitely worse. So he sold his birthright, and he just and and Jacob gave Esau threw in some bread, and and the, and the stew of lentils, and then Esau he eats it. You can almost see him putting it down, you know, wiping his mouth and heading out. You know, he ate, he drank, he arose, and he went on his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright and uh, just gave it away for nothing now he is going to complain about this uh, a little bit later uh, in his life but he has uh, done something that is astonishing here in what he has thrown away and we'll pick things up in chapter 26 uh, Lord willing next week and continue the account let's stand together and we'll pray